0: And welcome to another episode of Waste Books, a book club podcast brought to you by Waste Division Art Collective and online magazine. If you like what you hear, you can check out more of our work at Waste Division.org. And if you really like what you hear, we'd appreciate if you became a patron on Podbean and uh, tossed us a dollar for this episode if you enjoyed it. Um, This month we read a book called a wild sheep chase by Haruki Murakami, a book about mediocrity, selfishness, and unreality versus reality. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Waste Books. Waste. Waste.
1: Waste. 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 Waste.
0: Waste. Books. Okay. Now, um,
2: let's just all say hello. (laughs) Uh, hello, my name is Cooper Malin. I'm, I'm in Bend, Oregon right now. Hello, this is Phil Griffin
0: in Billings, Montana.
1: And this is Jordan Finn, also in Billings, Montana, streaming this uh, with Phil. We're together. We're together.
3: Uh, this is Dan Nichols. I'm in Bangkok, Thailand.
2: It'll be fun sometime uh, if ever we could uh, all be in studio together. I think that would be something we could really that would be really cool to try out. That'd be super fun.
1: A hundredth <laughs> podcast. Hundredth podcast. That
2: w- <laughs> Maybe if Dan comes back from the
1: east four years ever. from
2: now. All right. If it's four years from now, I mean I'd still be a happy man.
1: Keep
0: that. <sighs> um Oh. Oh, Coop, this was your pick.
2: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um and I've read him before. I, I read um one Q eighty four, which uh, is a phenomenal book, but wouldn't have been able to. We wouldn't have been able to read it in our kind, our uh, time restraints. It's like a thousand pages, right? Yeah, but it's it's a it's an incredible book, and I've come to learn that most of his books are. Everybody I talk to who is a fan of of uh, Murakami say he does not disappoint, and uh, this one uh, holds true to that. Uh, a wild sheep chase is about a late twenty something. Ad executive, who is unwittingly thrown into a sort of mystery in which he must find a deformed sheep from a photo sent by a friend. This is presented to him by the secretary of a right-wing leader known only as the boss. Uh, his life essentially is threatened. You know, his his career and life will be ruined if he doesn't complete this task in a month.
0: He'll die or something crazy, right?
2: Right. Essentially, it's implied that they will kill him. I mean, he always keeps saying, like, they'll ruin his career. But I, there's strong implications all the time that what the secretary is really threatening is, is his life. Um, and so it goes from the urban settings of Tokyo to rural northern Japan where... Hokkaido. yeah, uh, Hokkaido, yeah, where he is on the search for this uh, mysterious sheep. And that's pretty much like the bare bones synopsis of this book. And I suppose with that, we can, uh, yeah. we can get into the novel.
0: Yeah. Well, do you think we should give like a more precise overview or what's the best way to approach this I, book? I just think? thought
2: we could, I mean, we'll, we'll all, I think as we discuss it, we'll sort of bring to light what this is about. Sure. Or talk into it. I have uh, well, something. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Cooper. Unless. I was just going to say that I, in doing a lot of like. Because I finished this I probably finished about a week ago so I was doing some some prep work and flipping through the book again and uh it was only on reflection that I noticed that none of the characters in this novel have a name oh. except for the rat Well that, that they're all which nicknames is real name right wow I'd never, right, never right. right.
0: fucking notice that either
2: Jay the rat uh the sheep doctor like none of these characters wow. have na- the narrator doesn't have a name his wife never is given a name his girlfriend doesn't have a name the secretary, the bot, like we, they they're, every character is unnamed at the What about
0: his business partner? I'm pretty sure he doesn't either. He's just called his partner. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, I think so
3: because, like, there's no, like, overly Japanese names. And that, that, that was something that mm. struck me. And then now it makes total sense because there's no names at all.
1: I think you could, you could also wow. look at that because my favorite part about these, Murakami's novels are when you were bringing up reality versus un, uh, unreality. Uh, so much of it seems to be grounded in dreams and how mm, yeah. real dreams are mm. if everything is just sort of a projection a mental projection um, and I think that by taking away everyone 's names it makes everyone into these i don 't know about archetypes but like these stock characters uh that aren 't specific yeah, for so it 's sure. very vague and it makes it a little bit more dreamy or mm. hazy mm,
2: certainly and this this book it uh, in all of my research I did of it. This seems to be the, the novel that really broke him internationally right. when it came out. And I wonder if, if the fact that none of these characters do have uh, complicated Japanese names lends itself to the fact that it's, you can pretty much pick it up in any language and be able to easily um, go through it. Sure. I think, so. Mm,
3: so, something on that point. Um, this was uh, also my first time reading this guy. And I, he'd been on my radar for a long time. So I'm really, really glad we chose this book. And um, I I thought it was fantastic. I read it faster than I've read a book in years. Mm. I think I read it in three days, which, I mean, with my schedule now, that's just ridiculous and irresponsible on my part. (laughs) And I, I was, I was, I loved it. And I found myself just becoming so sad that I couldn't read it in the original language.
2: Wow. Dan, what made you think you read it so fast? What uh, what hurried you on? I mean, it does have like a hurried sort of frantic pace because it is stylized in a detective novel style.
3: No, yeah, I just, I, I bought it downtown Bangkok and started on the subway and just, just attack any, any free second I had just uh, at work because I have two hours of, two free hours at work and a third hour that's kind of iffy. And so I would just use those and then when I came home that's all I would do. And then one of one of them was my day off and I just spent that day reading. And yeah. Yeah. So it, that's it was awesome. Fairly easy with that. And that. Since I had a day off, it made it kind of easy. But uh yeah, man, I, I like the the language thing I found was like a bummer. Like I really, really it was a big bummer that I couldn't read this in the original language because like I mean there's so much of it that's just like like awesome phrases. And, um, you know, good prose. And it's like, damn, like, I wish I could, like, appreciate this in its original.
0: So it's not even necessarily that it doesn't translate well, because it does translate well. And you found a lot of the phrases compelling. You just wanted to see how much more compelling they would be in their original language.
3: Right. Well, and it's, like, also, like, I've am recently made a concentrated effort to learn mm-hmm. Thai. And, like, that's that's not Japanese by any extent. But like, like those the Asian languages are so different from English, like so ridiculously different, and that like I I can't even imagine what it would be like.
2: Just real quick, lending itself to what Dan's saying, I I do want to highlight who did translate this book because I think the person did a, an incredible job, and um, it's on the front cover. It's it's uh, translated by an Alfred Birnbaum, so. Uh, written by Murakami, but translated in English by Alfred Bernbaum, and I think he did a great job. I think, anyways, you know, I'm not, I didn't read the original transcript, but it seems to hold up. I think again, I this is all speculation, but the the gr- novel was great regardless of being translated or not. But I'm with you, Dan. I I found myself, and I thought this way too when I was reading through One Q eighty four, but especially again in, in a wild sheep uh, sheep chase that I I thought it would have been really really cool to have read it in uh, Its original Japanese form.
1: Something, something anecdotal that might allay uh, your, I don't know, your sadness of not being able to read in the original. Dan and Cooper is that when Murakami began writing, he tried to write in Japanese, and he tried and tried and tried. And so much of what what drew him to literature was more of a Western-influenced American-European type of literature. So he he pulled a Beckett and he wrote his first novel in English. And then he oh, translated it back to Japanese. And that's when he said that he understood. Oh, so that's wow. why it reads so well, I think, is that he actually is, he's writing, he wrote this in Japanese originally, obviously, but he learned how to write through English literature. And he writes, he's trying to write like an English person uh, mm-hmm. in Japanese, which is okay. why, you know, you get a lot of this Western influence. They seem to eat burgers more than they eat sushi in their mm-hmm.
2: There's, there's a lot of rock and roll
1: references. Yeah. And jazz. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Jazz. Yeah. yeah especially jazz.
3: No, it it does seem there were some specifically Japanese things that like. And obviously, he's he's a Japanese man writing in Japan, so like he can't help but like incorporate you know some facets of Japanese culture. But like, yeah, so much of it felt Western. Um, besides the setting in like Tokyo and Hokkaido, but um, like like the spirits and like the dead friend and stuff, like th- there were a few things where I was like, okay, what do I not understand about Japanese? uh spiritual beliefs that would make this make a little bit more sense.
2: I was thinking of that too when it when it came to be when when we when the reveal of the sheep came to be a sort of mythological creature. I was I was finding myself thinking like is this a sort of is this something that I'm missing because I don't have any sort of Japanese influences or cultural understanding or did he just pick a sheep because as we find out we do end up learning a lot about sheep in early uh (laughs) japanese uh um, farming techniques and whatnot is that he just picked the sheep because of that simple fact that it became it was transported to japan Mm -hmm. and then uh is that true by the way did anybody
1: check on the sheep facts with that stuff uh, i did not as far as i did not i assume that makes sense but yeah you're right it all made sense also, the, near the end, the, um, the, the mansion or the manor in the hills was uh, given to the family, to the rats family by the Americans, mm. which I thought was also sort of this possessive, mm. I don't know, like it kind of all comes back to American influence on Japan. Mm. A lot of it. Not, maybe not all of it, but yeah. Taking
2: us back so we can maybe start from the beginning and move onwards, we're introduced to a character who I believe is 29. Or twenty eight or so, and um, right off the bat, in I mean, in in how I read it, you know, he's he's pretty uh, emotionally unavailable, very much bored with his life. But it wasn't as if he's ever had an exciting life, and is now bored. It seems to be this lifelong boredom that he's been carrying on, from like university on to now his job that he began with a friend, which is as an ad executive.
0: And they worked hard. They're kind of a classic, yeah, they're a classic success story in a lot of ways where they got out of school and started a small translating company. And then,
2: well, that's, that's why it feels very American. Like this whole story feels like the comments it makes on Japanese middle class could easily be read as a story of like American middle class success stories. Totally. Mm Mm-hmm because yeah it was just like a small time translate translation business where they would actually hand handbills out for business these two like recent college grads and is now a very or a fairly successful ad uh, agency
0: well successful enough such that they're they're publishing a lot of ads and they've got them in visible places such that the boss sees this picture of a sheep sent from the rat to the protagonist, and for whatever reason doesn't want that picture in public or wants, wants to find the
2: person who took that picture. The, uh, right, we, we sort of learn later that this picture that the boss is upset about was, in the, in, at first our narrator says it was just a picture he randomly pulled from a, a drawer in his desk and used it, and then we later learn that it was a picture taken from an, uh, an old friend named the rat, that was sent to him, by him. Mm -hmm. Right. But that sort of begins our story, is um, the secretary coming and and talking to our narrator about this one specific ad that they ran, Mm -hmm. in which was pictured some mountains and some sheep, and one sheep in particular that the boss needed to find immediately. Because the boss is dying. Yeah, and, and the boss is... We keep saying the boss, and that's just the name that we're given from from the novel. But he is apparently like one of the most powerful men in Japanese politics, as well as the Japanese economy and media,
3: and like yeah. media too, right? Yeah,
2: right. It's that's that's how he's able to control the economy, and or more like that's how he's able to control the the politics of Japan is through the media. It seems like
1: and and just one other part anecdote. Uh, detail is that all this occurred immediately after the second world war Mm. so looking into this and other mirakami novels that i've encountered a lot of what he's studying about japanese culture is the sort of failure in japan or the sort of coming to terms with how terrible its past is in the same way that Faulkner did with the south Right, Mm, that's perfect. That leads into, I did do some
2: research as far as what does right-wing politics look like in Japan. Mm. Because I wouldn't say that necessarily plays a large part, but it is who the boss represents. He is a right-wing political leader. Um, And essentially what I found is the Japanese right-wing is considered, it's a very nationalist group, um, as you could imagine. Uh, It is very militaristic. But it firmly believes in um, in uh, it, it's actually it's it's really disgusted with this idea of self-hatred that the Japanese has because of their World War II involvement. Mm. And the right wing disagree with how current Japan is is um, taking the lessons from World War II. Mm-hmm. They don't think that what they did was wrong. They should rectify this idea of like self-loathing, and um, mm. they. Um, they don't recognize a lot of these like far Eastern military uh, treaties and stuff like that. They're very much against communism. They're very much against Marxism. Uh, They're anti-China, anti-Russia, anti-Korea. And uh, they're, they're, they seem to be pretty traditional Japan as far as like how traditional Japan before the 19th century came and sort of did that gunboat diplomacy where they opened them up after couple centuries of um seclusion they they seem to want to go back to that um interesting fact that i learned is that it's uh under uh the freedom of ideology which is granted to them in the japanese constitution a lot of these groups which i believe they the government has numbered in like the there's like a thousand right wing groups in japan right now mm-hmm. they are, they can't be arrested for doing their activities because of this freedom of ideology. But what I found interesting is that's what keeps most of these Yakuza groups from being arrested, oh. is because they claim to be right-wing. Oh, cool. Mm, so like the Yakuza mafia, or whatever, I guess they're just called the Yakuza in Japan, they, uh, they hide under this idea of being a right-wing political group, therefore huh. making it so it's unconstitutional for them to be arrested. Right. Just a fun fact that I learned. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's cool.
2: We should also we should also mention too that our main character, just going back to the book, the main character is recently divorced, and I say that with like a grain of salt because in almost any other story that would take on like a dimension, but because our character is so emotionally stunted, not even stunted because like nothing happened to him, he just is very apathetic to the goings on around him and he's very self-absorbed too he's a very selfish character he's a chain smoker yeah he's a drinker yeah this divorce doesn't affect him as it as i would think it would in other stories he was just as unhappy before is part of it yeah right
3: well he's more affected by his his girlfriend's years
2: which we can talk about like that's like one of the few supernatural qualities of this book her ears have the ability... I mean, we're jumping far ahead without it. A...
0: So this is a girlfriend.
2: This is a new girlfriend that he finds after his uh, divorce with his wife. Who She leaves him for one of his good friends, which is only upsetting to them because he is a, a selfish, self, self-absorbed character and sees it only as an affront to him rather than really looking at why his wife would leave him.
0: Well... So the girlfriend's ears are magically, they're sort of enchanted.
2: She's an ear oh, 100%. model. percent I mean, like, a, it changes people. Yeah. Even th- right.
3: Yeah, she keeps them
2: hidden. Right. <laughs> and they also are able to somehow, like, sometimes let her know of future events.
0: She has a sixth
2: right. sense, yeah. So, like, we can't deny the fact that there is magic. It's not even, like, hinted at magic. He's almost writing in, like, a latin american style in which this could be classified as magical realism where like these things that happen are certainly magical but he writes them in a way that you just sort of accept and move on and go that's just a fact of the story right
3: right well i mean like it's her ears that kind of start the whole chase right because she's the one that says like you're gonna get a call in 10 minutes right before well, she goes well he's gonna to get the
0: call anyway
3: Right, but, I mean, it's presented as her ears oh, picking it
2: true. up. And then they help them on the search. You know, it, she she's that kind of, she's that character mythology and who's, like, using her abilities helps the main character in his journey and then disappears when the task is finished for her. Oh, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I guess going, actually, now that I think of it, I can't remember how they met. Him and this girlfriend.
1: Didn't he see a photo of the ears and he called yeah, her? He pinned it up on his wall.
2: Oh, that's right. Just oh. like the, the sheep was also <laughs> in the
1: photograph. So they both came oh. from a photograph. And his yeah. adver- right, advertising. He was right. sent that. Yeah. Agency. Right. And
2: then he, he found the model agency that had hired her.
1: Mm hmm. She's also very, very average, not very exciting, not very attractive, very. M- plain. Mediocre, plain person. Which is what he is also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All
3: right, and he's very proud of that. Like, there's no like existential malaise, <laughs> no, or anything. Like, he's like, like I want a mediocre life. Like, this is the
2: shit. No. Nah. Definitely, he he definitely I mean, isn't. Shit. He definitely isn't our normal sort of uh, protagonist who bemoans his place in the world and somehow questions it or. Uh, or is guided by this self-loathing, he just sort of rolls with this idea that, yeah, he's an average man who lives a, a mediocre uh, life, and, which makes him a selfish character. That's funny. Because most of this novel has spent him just thinking about himself.
1: I never, I've read this twice um, as well, and I never really perceived him personally as a selfish guy, hmm. um, not any more than most people. He just seemed to be very average and very apathetic and um, he not vir- maybe not virtuous. He's not a virtuous guy, but he's, I don't know if he's really a selfish guy. He doesn't, like, really move around in the spectrum that much.
2: I, I see a, – a, I, I could point to I, – I think a big example of why I think that he's selfish goes back to his girlfriend. And he really mm-hmm. is only with her because of her ears. Mm -hmm. And he makes makes that a a point to himself many times and then is only upset when she leaves and he fully grasps the reality of that situation. And his one big takeaway is that he won't be able to see her ears again.
0: (laughs) Right. Can you direct that upward? Because I don't know how much we want to kind of very artfully get into the larger themes of this book, but it might be helpful... For setting up some landmarks and touchstones. Cause like one aspect that happens at the end is when he's got the photograph and there's a line about how the photograph looks more real than or yeah, than the actual scene. I think it's of the
2: hills. Do you guys remember that? When he finally reaches that point? Yeah, one sec. Uh, Um, as you guys look you found it no go ahead oh I was just gonna talk I just flipped through the book and and came across that um, that sheep drawing that's just sort of like three fourths of the way in the book that I think somebody I think maybe it was Marukami who wrote or drew this picture of the sheep oh yeah do you guys have that in your edition yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, just sort of is there when you turn the page, like oh there and there's the sheep man.
3: Yeah, it's on two forty or two fifty in mine.
2: It's um, I, I don't know. I I enjoyed it, but I couldn't see a rhyme or reason for it being there.
3: <laughs> it's kind of like Kurt Vonnegut does that in a lot yeah. of his books.
2: Right, but he does it so often you get used to it. This was the only example that right. we get of just a cartoon drawing.
3: Right, right. Um. Quick side note, my edition came with 3D oh, glasses.
2: That's awesome. That's What's incredible. the 3D for? What?
3: Yeah, I don't know. They're, it's, like, really popular here. They have, like, the vintage, the book publisher. They, like, they've been putting out all these random books with uh, 3D glasses and, like, trippy <laughs> covers. And uh, so, let's see. Uh, uh, Slapstick by Vonnegut was one. Uh, Doors of Perception. And uh this one. So for some for some reason, I don't know, it's just like very weird. Uh I've I've got uh trippy sheep covered and three D glasses. That is just thought I would share that.
2: That is fitting, 'cause this this whole novel kinda reads like a very boring but intense acid trip at times. <laughs> Where like it's an intense acid trip but the person that you're watching experience it is apathetic to the goings on around him. <laughs> right. I found that quote. Uh, set it up again. I can't remember what, you, what it's so referring to. So speaking
0: of um, reality and pictures. Right. Um, and advertisements. This is... He's comparing the angle of the picture to the real mountains once he gets up to the rat's house. Still it was unsettling, seeing with my very own eyes a scene I had by now seen hundreds of times on a, in a photograph. The depth of the actual place seemed artificial less my being there than the sense that the scene had been temporarily thrown together in order to match the photograph. So there's, there's like big inversions of reality and artificiality in this book. And I forget where we were at to come into that. But
1: mm, It might not have been as related because yeah. we were talking about his selfishness before that.
0: Hmm. No, anywho. It's your, Please it's your, it's your classic
1: postmodernism. Yeah. The reality and the image and what is more important—that whole simulacrum deal. Right. And I don't know. Right. I, I think a lot of it is about how you idealize something and the reality of something and playing the dreams and expectations. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And advertising, how advertising is a big part of that. And I know he works at an advertising agency, which I don't think is a huge part of it, but I think it's no accident that he works in manufacturing, yeah. designers.
0: Oh, I was going to, it was when we were talking about how both the girl's ears and the sheep yeah. appeared in photographs and advertisements. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So big two big movers in the story are originate in advertisements and kind of maintain that sort of artificial dominance throughout the story where when her powers yeah. go away, he, he won't even want her. Right. Right. Remember at the end?
2: Yeah.
1: Magic is gone.
2: The magic is gone. Right. Cause I was, I think that's a good way of looking at what advertising could be in this novel. Cause it certainly, it certainly is, um, like a, a catalyst for a lot of the events that happen. But I also think, marukami is just taking i mean this is like i think set in 1978 and so like the japanese market is is growing and in order to grow a market you do need to have advertisement mm. so i wonder if i wonder if advertising is a big factor in this book or it's just the most logical um job for this character to have because it, it is becoming a bigger and bigger part of japanese economy is marketing just like any anytime a. Uh, an economy grows in a in a nation, but I definitely right. agree with your points of the ear and in, in the in the sheep, in the idea that um, the reality of those pictures seem to be more uh, more real than than what he actually is experiencing when it comes to both his girlfriend and then Well, he never meets the sheep itself. But when he gets to that scene in which the picture is depicted, yeah,
1: I think I think the pictures are good in the way that all the interesting aspects of this story come from these pictures and even if that's related to false imagery or something that have to do with advertising, I think that in its, I don't know, artificial manner, it is capable of creating an artifice that can make beauty or things interesting and that the reality is something that's far more dull and it's only by uh, deviating from those realities that you find the interesting parts that make this, a novel worth reading. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that it's totally. I know people talk about art, the artifice as something that's always bad, but I think. Well, we're it's reading good. an artifice. Yeah, we're even reading an artifice. Right. Just trying to pick up where we left
2: off so we can cont- continue moving along the story. And so we, we did talk about how the, the boss's the secretary comes and demands that he find this mutated sheep within the picture. From there, he has his girlfriend. His girlfriend says that yeah, of course they're gonna go look for this. Uh, and it leads him eventually to uh Hokito, where the rest of the novel takes well, place.
3: Yeah. Why we we should say why did he even put the sheep in the ad in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right, isn't it because the rat the rat sent him? He got a letter from the rat with a picture of the sheep and said, put this somewhere it will be seen. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Is that what? And happened? so he does that. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think so. And then, and then, then that's why he gets contacted. And they're like, like, like the, the boss's man, if you will, was like, like, where did you get this picture? What do you know about sheep?
0: Get us this sheep, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. So I may be kind of dense here, and I, maybe I shouldn't be jumping to this point. But what is the mystery here, and how is it solved? Because I I wasn't sure I even understood how this wrapped up. Like, what exactly the rat did to maneuver the chauffeur secretary into there and presumably kill him. Like, what did all that do?
2: Well, essentially, it shut down the sheep's ability to ever again find a host. Mm Mm-hmm. That was the rat's point in being able to move through the, because when we do meet rat, he is, he's dead. <laughs> and he has been dead for at least two weeks or so. When uh, the narrator goes to stay at what we find out is his mansion. I feel like there's a lot more we got to set up. Right. Yeah, right. that's okay. Yeah, we could do that um but the the mystery the mystery essentially in where in like how this is set up as a detective novel is that our main character is forced to go on this mission to find a sheep in a photo that his friend the rat sent him and of course the the fact that it is a photo from his friend the rat is revealed later they their search takes them to hokito where a, most of the uh sheep farming in japan happened uh through the girlfriend's ears they go to a hotel called the Dolphin Hotel. The rest is just sort of setting up the the detective novel aspect of it in which the mystery is presented and it's that there is this deformed sheep with a black star on it and I believe a strange set of of horns that are not like any of the species of sheep that were in Japan. But what's special about this one sheep is it, the makes it the most special is this black star that's on its on its hide and so, and then they they go to Hokito, the main character and his girlfriend um and they end up at the Dolphin hotel A dingy, shitty a little hotel Wait, should we talk about why the boss wants to find the sheep in the first place? Well, that only is revealed later with okay. i right i mean it, i mean it begins now i I don't know if there's anything else we can really talk about leading up to the Dolphin Hotel, but the Dolphin Hotel I is shit I guess that's true.
3: Begins. Right, because like he's not really mm-hmm. told anything no, by the boss's people. He's just kind of like, like, you need to find this sheep or else we're going to ruin your life. Right.
2: And, none, and neither do we. The reader, there's no dramatic irony. The reader also has no idea why this sheep is so special.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right?
0: And then we find out about the magical sheep.
1: And the magical sheep came from when the sheep professor was working for the agriculture, he was like the best uh, scientist in agriculture in Japan. And when they invaded Manchuria and parts of China and Mongolia, he came over and worked with them uh, to go and look into sheep farming. And he got separated from his group somehow and he got lost for a week and he went into this cave and a sheep entered him. And the sheep went inside of him. And then he came back, and then they told him to basically continue being a uh, feeding the machine of the of the Japanese war machine. And please correct me if none of this sounds right, but... uh, Well, he went a a little loony there.
2: When he came back, all he would talk about was this sheep. I'm just trying to... How did he get it to the boss? Well, that was the big reveal, right? Is the boss is from... Hokito. He's from the village Junta yeah. or Hunta yeah. Tico. He's from the little village where the sheep professor was stationed at. So that's when it
0: So did the oh. boss know that
2: he was that the sheep was in him till the end? No,
1: he knew the Could whole time. Commune like with you the sheep.
2: You're yeah. aware of it yeah. it sounds like.
1: The sheep is also the will which I think is interesting. Whose will? It's the will. It's like I... It's like Schopenhauerian will. Or in a chain or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think Mirakami though has a negative light of the will. Mm. I think he sees it as like what fuels the Japanese war machine. Mm. Yeah. It is essentially
2: this sheep, we find out this, and then we're saying sheep with like a capital S. It is a a sheep separate from all other sheep and it enters people and its purpose seems to be to using mankind. It wishes to construct a sort of totalitarian rule that eventually leads to destruction yes its ultimate goal seems to be like utter chaotic destruction right or am i wrong
1: i think that's right and i think think so uh i think ultimately it has a malignant purpose right yeah i I agree it is not like and it's association with the boss seems to be a post War, a negative influence on Japanese culture. Mm. And I think it's related a lot to American culture too. And if it's rampant capitalism, it's like upheaval of values um, and traditions. Um, I think it's about sort of destroying fun. I think Mirakami just really enjoys having fun. Uh, And the sheep is against all that. It's about being disciplined and being controlling yourself and um, taking away a lot of your joy. And uh, the republic, the the right wing, republican right wing qualities of the boss and influencing the media is sort of like the modern day war in Japan or the negative influence on the Japanese people, like it, uh, just like a bad energy in, in the whole universe. Yep.
3: Well, I was confused about did the did the sheep want chaos or like, like ultimate chaos or ultimate power? Because I couldn't really tell.
2: I think power too. I think I think that's the yeah, that's yeah. the
3: impression I was under.
2: I use chaos, I think, wrongly here, but it it definitely wants some sort of, like, total fascistic rule over the world.
0: Yeah. Here's a paragraph from the mouth of the rat when they meet up at the end, which we could talk about later, but it says, seems like the sheep wants, quote, a realm of total conceptual anarchy, a scheme in which all opposites would be resolved into unity with me and the sheep at the center. So I think... It's not just chaos, but it's chaos while the sheep has the only anchor.
1: It has what?
0: The sheep has the only anchor. Everything else is sort
2: of swirling around, and the sheep is the only one able to read it. So it kind of is like a classic comic book villain, then, and the fact that it just wants ultimate power.
1: And as far as, like, opposites, that sounds very Orwellian and like, War is Peace. uh, What is it? slavery just Mm -hmm. sort of like making like this linguistic anarchy so that you can control everything or like nothing really has meaning or value Mm -hmm.
2: right anarchy in which all things opposite resolve itself Mm
1: -hmm. yes
2: so we we find that out through i mean it's revealed itself slowly of course like once we learn that there is something called the sheep that the sheep professor describes to us then throughout the rest of the novel the mystery is unraveled what the sheep is, what its purpose is, and we find out that its last victim was the rat, who then took it upon himself to become a sort of savior of the world, and end the
1: possibility of the sheep ever doing this to anybody again. Can we just take a moment to appreciate that Eric's not here? <laughs> <laughs> that has to stay. In, that has to stay in the podcast. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We love love you, you, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing all of the social media shit for Waste Division. That's not a job that I would ever want. (laughs) Yes, agreed. No, no. Wholeheartedly (laughs) agreed. Um, Okay, I think we came to a little bit of disagreement as far. Okay, well, now we're getting to where, like, the book comes to a head and finishes. Is there anything else that we need to talk about that sort of wraps up the mystery or talks about what the book is as far as plot?
0: So I, I saw this like progression where the sheep used certain people that it came in contact with and certain capacities of those people to gain power. Like, so... And I, this may be way off base, but so you have the sheep professor... And that was kind of somebody who was obviously intimate with sheep, so it was likely that the sheep was going to run into him. But he also has a certain power structure that he inhabits that helps the sheep further its goals. Whatever. See, the...
2: I, f- I feel like that was random. I feel like that the beginning of... I'm not sure the sheep's been around for millennia, but he was dormant in the cave, and the sheep professor randomly came upon it and fell asleep in this cave, and it entered him. And his only useful... No and then doubt. his only usefulness was the fact that he could bring it back to the mainland. Because it... Right, because that was, like, he saw the fact that the gotcha. boss could... The boss so far, according to, I think, the rat, was, like, the best possible person the sheep could have found. Which, why... Is... Sure. Because that, like, it naturally creates an embolism in the brain with its presence within the person. And maybe also... Did did he have cancer, too? Or was it just the brain embolism? No, embul It's like a big like, blood clot in your brain, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think you're
2: right, Cooper. So There's- he was dying of this embolism, which I believe is like a natural uh, occurrence with the sheep occupying your body and needed to find another host, but was like... So the boss maybe wasn't always right-wing. Like, there has to be something about free will and – or is that the perfect choice for the sheep to make, like take over an ideology of right-wing nationalism in Japan and then
1: infiltrate the media, infiltrate politics and the economy? That makes sense. I'm curious though how the sheep – I don't know how long I want to belabor this, but how did the sheep go back to to, uh, Hokkaido? That's what I'm trying – I was just
2: going to ask. Like how did the rat then – find the sheep or the sheep find him. He was traveling. So he wasn't always in Hokkaido. Remember he was like traveling all over. But was that, is that how it happened? Yeah. I thought it
0: was when, can the sheep inhabit more than one person at a time? I don't think so. Because I had the impression that it was when the, like after the sheep professor was there, Remember, the rat's dad bought the place? Or what was the chronology with that?
1: Mm, I think the rat's parents got it from the U.S. government. Because they were using it for some kind of testing or something. I don't know, something sketchy. But the
2: professor hung out up there. Uh, The The
1: professor? Yeah, he...
2: uh, Didn't he? Yeah, because I think the U.S. owned it. That's where they used to graze the sheep in the summer was there.
0: Right, so I'm wondering if that's the overlap where there would have been a opportunity for cause he used to summer well no there, cause remember, the the rat and his family the
2: rat got it from the boss the sheep professor went crazy because he saw like the beauty and power within this chaotic force that was the sheep and it left him so soon that like it's like chasing the dragon like he was always looking for the sheep cause he wanted him to be back in his body again mm. right so the, the sheep professor never got him again okay he never, he never got to have him inside of him. <laughs> mm. But that is, I, I mean, I, am trying to remember. I mean, because if I remember correctly, the chronology of the sheep's movement is dormant in the cave. Sheep defenders and enters the cave in Mongolia, I believe. Uh, brings it back to the super tiny village in which the summer house is outside of, which is Juni Taco or whatever. I don't know if it's Junior Taco, but it's something like that. Junior Taco, where a di-
3: <laughs> Junior Taco,
2: the Junior Taco, uh, Northern Hokkaido, where Taki. the young, <laughs> the young boss <laughs> was born and grew up there, which is like that was that was a reveal because remember he found mm-hmm. one of the books in the bookcase in the rat's house that had a list of political Japanese leaders mm-hmm. and he found the boss's name which we never know but then he's like, oh my gosh, he lived and was raised in Junior Taco. Which is where the <laughs> sheep found him.
1: And the sheep farmer went to that specific spot, not because he was from there, but because they were doing research on cold weather, like, far, rice farming. or something. Yeah. 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 I know that's... Uh, so that's,
2: that's that's where the coincidence comes
1: from. Yeah. That was right on the border of how far north you can go until it gets too cold to, to um, cultivate rice. So I think right. that's the importance of that location. Mm. And its importance as being a very inhospitable spot that was founded by the Japanese in the 19th century that were trying to get away from the state because and, they were all... Uh, well, they're getting away from debt. They're debtors. Debtors, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: That's right.
3: Right. That was a very funny part of the book was talking about yeah, the that settlers. Was I did like that. That was hilarious. Just the people trying to escape their debt and they just like went to the worst possible place that they could find so no one would chase them. With like
2: bringing their Sherpa along and like forcing it, not forcing it, but they were so far away from the rest of Japan that he- had to live there it became like an integral part of the community The a new boy yeah the new boy that's right but this i mean we all have our books here but i'm trying to remember so how does i mean this is it got a little i got a little confused towards the end when it came to the rats rats description of what was happening but somehow the sheep came in contact with i mean the or i guess technically the rat came in contact with the sheep and the sheep saw The rat's possibility in furthering its plans, which we know of as kind of this ambivalent, like, bad guy's desire for total anarchy, which he's the center of. But the rat somehow played into his plan, and the rat saw this and then took it upon himself to uh, destroy the sheep's possibility of ever finding another host. Mm -hmm. But don't remember how the rat got it.
0: yeah. Because, right, was it just that the rat was supposed to be the sort of anointed person to step in and take the boss's position at the top of his big gangster political power structure?
2: Essentially, I think that was what the sheep wanted the yeah. rat to do. The, the sheep saw something in the rat just like he saw something in the boss and wanted to use the rat's inner something or other, inner, inner moxie that the sheep saw to further this. And the rat was like, ah, oh, hell no. I ain't down with this game plan. Whereas the boss is like, fuck yeah. Right.
1: Well, it's interesting. he would pick the rat or the rat with, I think it was almost accidental that it was the rat because the rat, because this is just as an aside, once again, this is part of a a trilogy of the rat and this is the third novel. And I've read the first two and the rats just kind of like a loser guy. That's like a, like a bar buddy of the protagonist. So Mm. he's not somebody that's that interesting. He's just kind of like eccentric drunk. And like he doesn't really get his shit together until the, this novel. Hmm. So I think he's also kind of a mediocre guy. I, I don't know. Maybe he just – now I'm contemplating whether the sheep went back to its homeland or something and then found the – like that's the new cave and that he just happened to be the first one there. And in his sort of mediocrity, he was able to defeat the sheep and not having like um being ambitious or something and, and that's like a <laughs> virtue in itself but,
2: uh, i don't know right I'm... we're like the sheep professor was excited about this new uh companion within him and 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 didn't necessarily want like the dom- dominion that the boss went for but like, the sheep must have saw this eagerness in him to please the sheep and in doing so he like brought him right to the boss and then his usefulness was abandoned well, yeah, I think you might be right. There, there, I think there might be something in the fact that the rat was so mediocre, and just a a bum of a character that even the sheep couldn't combat that, which was his like downfall.
3: Uh,
2: is that good or bad? Because the sheep could oh, be, just... the sheep is evil,
0: right? So like, does that make like the rat a mediocre hero because he was able to defeat it and maintain his mediocrity? Or
3: I guess that's that's the kind of question I'm wondering too. Is like it's it's clear that the rat is the hero by the end of the book. It's just whether he's a mediocre hero or a great one.
2: I just I think I just came across and I now I'm now I'm remembering this, but there is a very large section when the rat's talking to the to the main character and he says this is on page 333 in my copy. He says, "The key point here is weakness," said the rat. "Everything begins from there." Can you understand what I'm getting at? Um And then he talks about um, weakness towards, you know, moral weakness, weakness of consciousness, and the weakness of existence itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, let's see. Ultimately, because of this weakness, I couldn't escape the specter of the sheep. There was nothing I myself could do about it. Probably even if you had shown up at the time, I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. Even if I'd made up my mind to go down from the mountain, it would have been the same. I probably still would have come back up in the end. That's what weakness is. Um. Here, yeah. If we if we all go to that kind of section three thirty four in my copy, which he he talks about, you know, he talks about the blood cyst works kind of like a whip for the sheep to manipulate the host. So the sheep used the boss to build up a supreme power base. That's why the sheep entered him. He wasn't a word disposable. The man was zero as a thinker after all. And then the main character says, so when the boss died, you were earmarked to take over that power base. And he says, I'm afraid so. Mm. And then he says, so why did you reject it? And then he said, "Uh, I guess I felt attached to my weakness, my pain and suffering too. Summer light, the smell of a breeze, the sound of cicadas. If I like these things, why should I apologize? The same with having a beer with you. The rat swallowed his words. I don't know why.
1: Well,
0: I guess something that I was kind of thinking about and that relates to that idea of weakness is that I guess I thought of our protagonist as like a a mediocre guy, yes, but pretty much like kind of a respectable guy, like pretty moderate. He's at least he talks about his business partner, for example, having an alcohol problem. And he seems to be, or at least before his wife leaves, he presents his past as, or his past self as pretty moderate. But then as the story goes on, he's, I guess he's, is he always a smoker? Do we know that? Is he always a smoker? Yeah, I
2: think he talks about like smoking a bunch in college and stuff when he used to be like a pseudo beatnik and stuff.
0: Right. So... So, maybe that's maintained, but at least as soon as we get to see his day-to-day activities, especially when he's facing this deadline, he's drinking, like, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I wasn't sure, like, if he was supposed to be, like, a good, like, somebody we should root for and respect, or something that we should, you know, be disappointed in, or both, or... You mean the protagonist?
2: Yeah. And going back to sort of how this story, mystery ends and it's the the destruction of the sheep. Essentially, I think Jordan, you nailed it with the fact that he is so mediocre. Where the boss and the sheep professor had ambitions because it he sort of describes here when the sheep locks onto you, he um, he sort of he he shows you what is possible, and. Um, mm. You know, the the the, sh- the rat says, and it was enough to draw me in, more than I'd care to confess. It was not something I can explain in words. It's, well, it's like the blast furnace that smells on everything it touches. And uh, a thing of such beauty, it drives you out of your mind. But it's hair-raising evil. Give your body over to it and everything goes. Consciousness, values, emotions, pain, everything gone. What it comes closest to is a dynamo manifesting the vital force at the root of all life in one solitary point of the universe. The main character says, "Yet yeah, you were able to reject it. And he says, yes, everything is buried along with my body. So his mediocrity is, allows him to commit suicide, which ends both himself, but also the sheep.
1: Right. And Phil, you were, you were making a reference to his, uh, partner being an alcoholic. hmm I think that a lot of that has to do with his partners. Like was, he was drinking in the morning and it was affecting his family life. Uh, I think though that the protagonist here still has that temperance, that self-control and that's a huge part of it. He's drinking throughout the novel, but it's always at like a respectable rate. It's like a,
0: after a day of work or after something. After a day
1: of work or, you know, like drinking three or four beers at the end of the day is not I don't think is something that out of the ordinary. He's never on a bender, he's never too drunk to be in control of the situation. He's I think he's at a very right. ideal level of drinking, like maybe what we would even think of Well,
2: he's so mediocre that even his drinking is just (laughs) average.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A
3: failed alcoholic.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think, too, that what plays a role here, just knowing the the trajectory of Murakami as a writer, he wrote the two novels before this, and this was a breakthrough, I think he was seeing the potential as a writer, and knowing his lifestyle since then he's famous for getting up early in the morning and running every day and you know still drinking and and he doesn't smoke but leading a pretty like controlled somewhat aesthetic lifestyle i think that a lot of this is about not letting those influences of power uh, change your art because what's interesting is that he has to be pretty ambitious to be a novelist i mean if ambition is is something that might be a little uh, i don't know destructive i think that uh this novel is maybe for mirakami a way for him to check his ego but at the same time still like not be a weak person i like that
3: did he always such a controlled life like because i I know
1: yeah in the 20s he seemed to be like kind of a, a quirky college kid that liked to get drunk and go to shows and stuff but i don't think he was like a wild man by any means.
3: No, I mean, he still had to... Like, he ran a successful bar for 10 years. Like, he had to do the books.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he, and he, he said that he basically worked his ass off every day to just ba- barely break even. Right. For for pretty much his 20s. So...
2: So I, I wonder, because there, there is so much... There is so much self-awareness on the part of the main character of his mo- own mediocrity. Are you saying that we could potentially look at this as Marukami sort of, yeah, like you said, checking his own ego and reminding himself to to be humble in the immortal words of Kendrick <laughs> Warren. <laughs> no, sit down. <laughs> um, I I can see that now that I'm saying it out loud because I think of myself as a very smart person, but I think of that, I might be something,
1: right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that might be a big part of it. I think so. But I think... I don't know.
2: I'm not trying to wrap this up, but it it was a pretty straightforward novel. It was pretty simple. It was written in the style of a of a pseudo uh noir uh sort of detective novel that that has uh a lot of leanings in post World War II Japan. That's always kind of fun to explore, you know, a whole new cultural idea of, of what happens after a war, especially World War Two, and especially in Japan. But other than that, it, it uh, I don't know, it was a, just kind of a, a beautiful and really uh, fun and quirky read.
1: I, I like to say that I think it's interesting that you count sheep in order to sleep, in order to dream, which I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. just I've me reading other stuff of his makes me think of dreaming a lot more. But the, his whole interaction with the sheep man at the end was in this sort of dreamlike state that you don't really know if it actually happened or not. I mean, you kind of have to assume that it it may as well have happened. Right.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. He he certainly puts he this is this novel's shrouded in dreamlike states. But as a reader, you sort of have to accept everything that happens.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, something I thought that was rather strange was uh, like when he he meets the sheep man. Right. Like he goes up to that house and he finds all the food who can i
2: cal- can I clarify to the listeners is different than the sheep professor
1: wait right, yeah. is
2: the sheep character. professor no it's a different character than the sheep professor
1: oh yeah which is also can we say who the sheep man actually is <laughs> <laughs> the sheep man is the rat <laughs> the dead rat it's the ghost of the right yeah right
3: and so yeah so he goes he goes up to that house and He stays there for, like, what, a couple weeks, right? Just eating and, like, doing random things. And his girlfriend leaves, and uh, he he meets this man dressed as a sheep, and he talks really strange. And, yeah, like like you said, he he finds out it's the rat. But what I thought was very strange was, like, you find out the sheep man and the rat, like, it's a ghost, right? Like, they're they're dead. No. But they can still eat and drink. Yeah, they're dead. That's
2: wrong. The rat's dead. The sheep man is literally a dude up there. That the rat, like, is able to take over. But he doesn't have a reflection.
0: Mm, what? I thought
3: I thought the, sh- the rat was the sheep man.
2: I No, I thought the rat was able... He's like, yeah, he's a pretty simple dude. I was able to... I thought he just said it's a form I take.
3: Yeah, I thought it was like a manifestation of the dead rat. That's weird. But... And I was, and even, even so, like, uh, so the sheep man eats food, like, if if it is the dead rat, Drink. he eats food, and then later when he's talking to the rat, the rat drinks a beer with him, I think. So, like, there was something strange about, like, the spirit, like, something that's dead eating I, and drinking, which is, just, like, very strange.
1: I think there is something that has to do with the bend in the road when they're coming up there, where that's sort of passing into the surreal because that bend in the road is is accentuated when they're coming up it's like this really precarious ledge that could crumble if a car tries to drive over mm-hmm. it so his chauffeur right. can't his taxi right. driver can't drive him up there and um after the first day his girlfriend leaves so you almost have to see a lot of what goes on up there as a I don't know, phantasmagoric dreamlike series of events that has to do all with the sheep man because the woman his girlfriend never sees the sheep man oh ever
2: no she he, she right. does she, he scares her away
3: that's what he says that's what he tells yeah. the protagonist right
2: guys i don't know i think the sheet man's real i mean there's a part where he says like the sheet
0: well he's real in terms of being in a surreal area
2: the sheet man buried me next to the garage oh that's what that's the rat saying oh. that
1: so there could be an actual oh. Sheet Man who just lives up there, but he just takes the form of the sheep Man for that one yeah, occasion?
2: Yeah, I remember <coughs> him saying, like, the sheep Man's a pretty simple man, and, and because that he's able to, uh,
1: at times, control him. Okay. But didn't he say that on other occasions when he talked to the sheep Man, he had the same mannerisms as the rat, and he said, I knew you were the whole time, and you yeah. you were the rat. But maybe that's just the rat's Right,
2: which could out. be just that was when the rat was taking yeah. him over.
0: Uh, I'm not sure that it makes a ton of sense to try to nail down reality and unreality, in especially in the most distinctly strange part of the book.
2: Yeah, this takes the cake, right? Which I think is the that's the point of it,
0: right? Because it's just as weird either way for the rat to drink a beer <laughs> or three or whatever, right? Right,
3: and that that made me wonder if there was some kind of like. Because like I know like here and in China like sometimes and in Cambodia people will like lay out food offerings for mm-hmm. like spirits, but like the rat drinks a beer in the end, and like that's what made me think of like this spiritual like this weird animism like spiritual beliefs that the Asians have or some Asian peoples have, mm-hmm. where like where like spiritual forces can consume mm-hmm. physical things because they do that here they leave out food offerings. Uh, for like ancestor spirits or something like that um yeah or to the buddha i can't I'm, i'm not entirely sure i think in cambodia it was more chinese and then here it's like a it's like a very thai buddhist thing that they do but uh yeah they definitely leave food out and so that's what made me wonder like that was another one of those like okay what do i not understand about japan that makes this super strange or maybe it's just a strange book
2: anyway yeah The Sheep Man's totally real, guys. I want the Sheep Man to be real. (laughs) He
0: is.
3: He is.
2: I'm on page 337, (laughs) and uh, the main character is saying, all right, the main character is saying just two last questions. The rat says, okay. He goes, first, about our Sheep Man. And Rat says, yeah, the Sheep Man's a good guy. And he says, but the Sheep Man, the one who came visiting here, was you, right? And he said, yeah, I, I took his form. So you could tell that it was me, could you? And he said, yeah, you know, about halfway through. So the sheep dude is a real dude up there. Oh, took his form. Right, like he did, he became like the ghost version of the rat, but he looked like the sheep man. Right. Hmm. Well. Yeah. Does that matter? I think so, because why would he... I mean, that's a, a pretty strange character to leave towards the end. It would make more sense, I think, if he was totally a figment of the rat's creation, but I don't think he is. Why doesn't he have a reflection in the mirror? Cuz that
1: was when the the rat as the sheep man came to visit him. I think Cooper would say that's when the sheep man was taking that was when the rat was taking the form of the sheep man on that one occasion, cuz that was the only time he never saw right. his reflection. Oh. And it was
2: the last time. Because he said the the one who came visiting here was you, right? And he said, "Yes, that was me that took the form of him."
1: But what about so? What about the part where he did say that he had the same mannerisms? That whole time was it on other occasions? Was it also the rat? Was it sometimes the sheep man? Sometimes the rat. Yes. Hmm.
2: Well we can tell from here: when he came to visit him at the house, I think it was the rat. But when he went outside and found him walking around collecting for winter, that was the sheep man.
1: Hmm. That's pretty amazing. That that I'm. I'm definitely not gonna. I am not confident that I'm right. That's pretty amazing. There's literally a man, not in a surreal way. That's just a fucking guy in a sheep suit walking around by himself in the middle right. of nowhere.
2: <laughs> that adds to the reality-unreality aspect of this novel. That mm-hmm. ad- that adds to like the surrealism and absurdity is like you do have a figure who we, the character we never meet until we meet his ghost, mm-hmm. but we meet him through a real live man who is dressed in a sheep costume of his own fashioning. That has been living there for years. Why? Just wandering around. We should mention why. Oh, because of the war. He didn't want to go to war. He didn't want to go to war. And and I think this is the Russo-Japanese War it's referring to. Mm -hmm. Not the the Second World War. The
1: Russo-Japanese War. Which they killed. And they they won. Fucking Ruskies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... I wanted to talk about uh, time. Time was something that I saw popping up quite a bit. 420, bro? 420, bro. At one point in my copy, 282. I guess I wanted to talk about Murakami's style, and this is a a good way to do it. So he's just doing a description of the house. There were three bedrooms on the second floor, one big room to the left of a hallway and two smaller rooms to the right. Each room had a bare minimum of furniture, each room on the gloomy side. Now, the big room had twin beds and a dresser. The beds were stripped down to their frames. Time was dead in the air. I just noticed like Murakami setting up these paragraphs that would say one thing and then end with kind of a snap like that, where like mm-hmm. we're getting this physical description, and then all of a sudden... This sort of profound
2: time was dead in the air. Oh, that happens all throughout this novel. Yeah. He he definitely even looking at these two pages, two eighty two and two eighty three. If you f- if you look at the pattern of that paragraph you just read, it it reads throughout the rest of this these two pages even. Right. Um, maybe a week's worth. Um, let's see. Except there were no sheep. These are I'm just like looking at the last sort of snappy. That's a good way of saying it. Just like these snap sentences that just. He lulls you into sort of a comfort as you're reading it, and then he just whips you back into, like, time was dead in the air. Right. The few gauge Red Full. Just these sort of simple, almost, like, Hemingwayan style of concluding that paragraph and moving, excuse me, onto the next one. Right.
0: Well, so having to do with, like, time and death, I guess I... So this, this novel is called A Comedy... Like even like a slapstick or a screwball comedy. and Who calls it that? It's on the back of my USA Today has a, a blurb that calls it a screwed ball comedy.
2: But <laughs> oh, yeah. Equal part I screwball comedy, detective story, and heroic quest.
0: That's the one. And I don't know how useful it is to bounce stuff off that, but to me I was like pretty... I guess this was just <laughs> like... I didn't think it was all that funny as it was sad. Right. It kind of had that emptiness,
2: I guess, in a lot of ways. Right. That's a good question. Was this a funny book? I laughed. I did, too. There were some funny parts,
1: for sure. Yeah, there were a few. But I wouldn't call it a screwball comedy. (laughs) It might be a tragic comedy. It might be a tragic comedy. Uh I don't think it's... It's definitely not a full tragedy, but... I don't know. The ending was seemed to be optimistic. When he go, when he goes back and he sees the, the bar. Doesn't he walk into the goddamn ocean? What? No, to go crying to go wash, uh, swimming. Jesus, to go swimming.
0: Oh, I thought he walked into the ocean. I
1: mean, maybe there's a dual meaning there, but
0: I
2: he seemed to. Wait, Phil, are you saying that the main character killed himself?
0: Yeah. I thought he did a Virginia Woolf.
1: <laughs> no, he didn't. No way. To its mouth. No, that he ocean. just said like... I.
0: Mm.
1: Wait, at the epilogue?
0: Yeah, like very last sentence.
1: No, it just said, Well, it says I could hear the sound of the waves as I started to walk. It could be vague enough. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up that you read into that like that, Phil. <laughs>
0: well, I don't know. Maybe it's because... So it says... I walked along the river to its mouth. I sat down on the last 50 yards of beach, and I cried. I never cried so much in my life. I brushed the sand from my trousers and got up, as if I had somewhere to go. The day had all but ended. I could hear the sound of waves as I started to walk. I guess, like, the as if I had somewhere to go thing. He said that he had nowhere to go but into the water.
2: (laughs) But maybe I just like that. And that does seem like... You're doing that thing where you like pronounce words that you want us to pick up on. Nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of waves as I started to walk. <laughs> I had I had never even thought of that, Phil. <coughs> that there was a possibility that he oh well, he, fuck me he killed himself. <laughs> no, not at all. It's interesting. No, I, that that's maybe a little too. It's
0: not mediocre enough for this guy. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting way
3: to
2: put see, it. Because I, I, I read that the crying part, the part where I sat down on the last 50 yards of beach and I cried. Never cried so much in my life. as like the first time in this novel that we see him start to fully comprehend all of his own emotions. Mm-hmm. Like a floodgate came through and now he would possibly rise out of mediocrity or or possibly be a little bit less self-absorbed and, and would sort of take things
1: a little bit more seriously. Mm. Also that last sentence, when he's talking about, uh, as if he had somewhere to go, saying that he's learned the lesson of the rat, that he's not going to trick himself into being some driven character who like knows, I know what I need to do now, da-da-da-da-da, and essentially live in a way similar to the boss. I don't want to compare someone that has a place to be to a right-wing fascist leader, but... I think that there is something to be said about his sort of waywardness and the beauty of that and also mm-hmm. that his experience and his emotions that come from that loss of direction. And he didn't really have anywhere to go from the very beginning. This whole story is about kind of an accident. And he had a sense of direction in this yeah. accident. And um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, It was a very beautiful ending to me. It was very, Right, very I liked it.
3: I thought that it it uh, wrapped up in a more complete way than a lot of postmodern Definitely. novels do like there's a lot of a lot of postmodern novels just have like these I don't want to say cliffhangers they just kind of end without like any resolution yeah um, and this one had far more resolution to it than um, even even if it still felt a little bit like there were some threads that were just kind of left in the air but uh overall it it did a pretty good job of wrapping up. I thought, I think so. So he's changed.
1: The story changes him. Character development.
2: Yeah, he he does has he does have have an arc.
1: He that has we an can, arc. M- m-
2: um, I don't know. Match the trajectory of.
1: But I don't even think. Do you think think that he didn't really develop at all until the cabin, or till the mansion, or the house? That seems to be. I would say he the didn't. Catharsis mm-hmm. for
2: him. Yeah. And then it then it comes I think he his character f- of course fully develops when he goes back to Jay's bar and decides yeah. to give become a partner him and the rat become partners with Jay. to help him pay off the loans and stuff.
1: Right? Yes.
0: I I don't think he really develops until later cuz even until the end he's like obsessed with the girl's ears and like if he's feeling bummed or whatever she'll be like here let's Let's have intercourse, and you can look in my ears.
2: And that's... Right.
3: I I, I, I was unsure if she got killed, or what happened to the girlfriend.
2: I think she just, like, went on with her life. The sheep man talked to her and said, like, your part of this journey is done, and you need to leave. And she did. And that's it.
1: That's, like... It scared her, right? Isn't that what we're told, anyway? It was very... To me, it was very Twins. I don't know. I'm sorry. I am I just watched Twins, Twin Peaks for the first time. It, it's a very Lynchian sort of your role is done, leave here. And the character just like this mysterious figure just tells someone to do something and they do it. And there's like this element of fate or these sort of agents of fate that come into people's lives. And it has like larger symbolic meaning of their powerlessness yeah. and that they can't right. really put up a fight about mm-hmm. it at all because it it is fate. Also, there's something that doesn't I mean really like... bunkhouse boys for life. Bunkhouse boys for life. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, there's also a lot of determinism in his other novels, so I think that maybe as a part of it here, where yeah. people don't really control a lot of things in their lives and that they're kind of part of something larger than themselves. Which definitely That is definitely true.
2: comes through in this novel. Yeah. yeah. This and whole like... novel, our main character could be seen as being lackadaisical, but I think it's more that he was always supposed to go on this journey, and there was no option otherwise. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with the connection of, like, the rat sending him the picture that set off the whole journey, I mean, he, this was always going to be his trajectory, no matter yeah. what.
1: and his girlfriend knowing that the phone was going to ring in 10 minutes.
2: Right. And, and, and the way he went to the office. W- went to the office? Or just the whole scene with him sitting down with his partner and, and sort of, like, being almost, like, heavy with this burden of knowing that he's about to go on to do something big? hmm mm. Right.
1: Yeah, it gets pretty epic. As, as, as silly as the story can be, it gets pretty heavy and, and pretty dark. Not, yeah. Not, not, like, Beckett dark, but <laughs> a little dark.
2: Well... Right. I think that's it.
1: Wait, that was it? That's it. That was it.
2: Forever. <laughs> this is the, this is the last podcast any... I think we're ever going to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I, we've touched it. Sorry, that. Eric. Fuck it. Did, did we... Yeah, sorry, Eric. Fuck you. <laughs> did anybody have anything <laughs> they want while we're here? Anything left? Um...
2: Any large themes we missed? Big scenes, (laughs) characters. I'm pulling up my Word document, and we've hit every point that I put down. Wow. Wonderful. A journey of self-discovery? Question mark. That was one of them. I feel like we hit that. (laughs) 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 Uh, Closing remarks. This is my second um, Murakami novel I've read. One of them was. Like I said, 1Q84, which many consider to be his magnum opus. I don't know. It was incredible. It certainly shares themes to this one um, and literary elements. But um, I did not know this was a trilogy until I think uh, Dan or Eric brought that up. And I might have to check out the rest of the rat story. Because this is technically called like rat number two, right? Like the rat. This is like... A wild sheep chase. The rat number two. Oh, wait. Um, this is the third of the trilogy, for sure. So. so I I enjoyed this just like Dan. This was a very quick read for me, not because of it's in its simplicity, but because I really enjoyed it, and and it was a page turner. And I, I I thought it was a bit of a screwball comedy. I have to agree with the USA Today on that. <laughs> 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 Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed this one and, uh, it was, it's, it's always fun to, to get a whole different, uh, uh, take on literature. In this case, the, the Oriental, can I say that? Is that, is that bad <laughs> yeah. to say the Oriental litter? It's just describing the Eastern part of the world. Is that, or is that racist? No, that's not racist. Oriental.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, right. Apparently. I can't say
2: this Oriental wrote a great book. <laughs>
1: <This> <laughs>
2: <Oriental wrote> a... <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh well thanks Cooper. Dan, what did you think? <laughs> um, I loved it. I uh I thought
3: that I agree this oriental
0: wrote uh
3: Hello Yarn. <laughs> so bad. Oh, <laughs> I'm done. But uh Um no you had a whisper all because you're right now
2: hiding in in just a, a Bangkokian motel, aren't you?
3: Yeah uh, yeah it's a it's a apartment (laughs) high-rise but yeah my neighbors Mm. might come to beat the shit out of me after this (laughs) they they could probably hear it um but uh i was gonna say so i loved it i read it very fast um had a wonderful time i i would love to read more of him so i found a copy of norwegian wood i picked that up um and I, i just plan to keep keep reading his stuff because uh it made a very very good impression on me good definitely 10 out of 10 would recommend
2: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i didn't give it a rating can i give it a rating yeah five out of five would read (laughs) definitely would all
3: right right. right.
0: wonderful philip oh well it was uh it was fun all right jordan
1: Are you good, Phil? (laughs) Uh,
0: No, I I haven't read any Murakami before. I've wanted to for a while. I think I've been meaning to read *Wind-Up Bird Chronicle* for some time, but uh, this was a cool start. Yeah, I understand it was his world debut. I heard it referred to as a debut,
1: but that doesn't sound correct. I think those other two were not wide releases. Oh,
0: I see. So it was like a wide release debut. They're but like, yeah, I like thought EPs. it was EPs. Yep. <laughs> 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 first full, <whole thing. laughs> full length. Um, I thought it was great. The writing was solid. It's cool and makes sense that he wrote it in English first. Um, I also read someplace that he's done translating work, like translating Raymond Carver stuff into English, or into Japanese rather. So he's kind of done it both ways and. Mhm. Um. It's cool and I think kind of rare to get somebody who has enough control over two languages that they can
2: write a book that does translate well, he um, has a great precedent for it I mean Nawakov novels in in english right right that's a right. pretty good that's a pretty Baffling. good company to be in totally
0: um but yeah, I thought it was fun um it's nice clipped along pretty good, had some neat, I don't know, like globalism, just kind of oblique observations of those structures and how they affect us, but,
1: um, yeah, fine. Uh, this is the second time I've read this book as well, same as Cooper, and this is definitely, if someone was going to start reading Murakami, I've read... One, two, three, five of his novels. And I would say, easily, easily, this is what I would say would be your best bet for getting into it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. shorter. It goes by really, it might be 360 pages, but it's 300, mine's 350, but it feels like it's less than 200 because it goes by Definitely. so quickly. And it's, it's not, it's also a lot of, I know I hate to read into this, no pun intended, but there's a lot of like white pages and like short chapters and, um, Very highly, highly accessible. Highly entertaining. Um, I'm really impressed that he didn't even start writing until a couple years before this. So for him to reach this... He was
2: a late bloomer as far as an author, right?
1: Yeah, he didn't start writing until he was 29. So And he won his first competition for as a novel. And those novels, I I think, are not that great compared to this one. This one is excellent. This one is just as good as... um, it's a sort of a less epic version of a novel like Weinaberg Chronicle, which I think is is absolutely one of the greatest novels written in the last probably in my lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this he tackles a lot of ideas, a lot of themes. He does them in ways that are very accessible, without sounding lofty. He's uh I think someone that anyone can like. Doesn't matter how bookish, intellectual, or I don't know, how flippant you are about reading I would I always always recommend Mirakami to everyone even if they read Joey Picoult or or um I don't know David Foster Wallace I, I really enjoy this Grisham. book and I'm glad reading it again Johnny yeah, someone like Johnny Grisham Dave doesn't matter how bad your taste is you'll love Mirakami <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the I think that's that's the best I think we're going to be able to say about Mirakami <laughs> enough about him he really is an incredible author one of the best. God he, it's a lot him. of fun. In the words of Phil, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of
0: fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we want to wrap us up, Phil? Um,
0: everybody just say bye. That's it. All right. Bye, everybody. So You We can feel each other coming. Well, that about does it for another episode of Waste Books. If you like what you heard, again, you can check out our website, waste-division.org, where we've got fiction, essays, music, comics, and various other media that uh, us and other contributors have made. We also have some stickers and t-shirts on there if you want to get some waste swag. And today's music was brought to you by Halfway Killed, a band formed by our friend Caleb Addy, who plays guitar and sings in Idaho Green alongside Jordan. If you like that music, you can find Halfway Killed uh, on Bandcamp. Next month, we're kind of changing it up with a book by Ram Dass called Be Here Now. It's kind of more of a non-fiction book, but we will have our friend Wendy Johnson on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, Anyway, we'll see you then. Waste on.
2: My girl and me gone. Natural gas.